Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Um, like Trevor said, I'm the youth pastor at Church of the Resurrection, and, and it is a, a real privilege to be here this morning. Um, I just, I love that, that you guys are here. I love that City of Light exists um, because, like Trevor said, Aurora is kind of a, it's like a second home for me because my wife's family still lives here right up the road on Elmwood, and um, I just, uh, I was just delighted to, to be here um, worshiping with you guys this morning. Um, okay, so we're, we're closing out this series on parables this morning that you guys have been in for a while. And, uh, and Trevor tells me, you know, he's kind of like looking at the parables. The parables, they're not like, you know, this, this big steak that you, you know, that takes you a while to eat. They're kind of like this like little morsel at this really fancy restaurant. And you, you're like, oh, there's not much here. But then you bite into it and you're like, whoa, this is complex. I'm going to be thinking about this, this meal for a long time. And that, that's kind of what the parables are. You can just kind of enter into them and think about them for a, a long time. Um, and so he gave me the text this morning, this parable of the ten virgins, and, uh, and I was excited to come and preach, um, but, but this was a tough parable. Like, I don't know if, if you felt like that when we're reading through this story, but this is a tough parable. I mean, uh, first of all, I mean, like, half, half of these, uh, these virgins forget to bring the oil or they don't bring the oil. We don't know why they don't have oil with them, but if you're like me and you're a bit of a procrastinator then maybe you see yourself in this story and you're like, I could see myself as the kind of person who forgets to bring oil or, or who doesn't bring oil. And, and then later in the story, when they realize, like, I don't have what I need, they ask their wise buddies for, for some oil. And, and, uh, and the other you know, virgins are like, no, there's, there's not enough for both of us. So then you're like, well, what's up with that? How come they're not like sharing? That's not very nice. And then it gets to the end and there's this wedding banquet and, and the people who don't have their oil, they get shut out. And so if you're like me reading this, you're like, oh, well, this, what's this parable about? It just seems harsh, you know? And, uh, and, I, and I thought about that a lot because I was thinking, like, I don't think I'm having the emotional reaction to this parable that Jesus is intending. But, but like, what is, what, what is Jesus intending in this parable? And, and who am I supposed to identify with? And, uh, and what is the world that this parable is, like, opening up for me? Um, and so, uh, so let's dive in. I, I just want to encourage, encourage you guys, if, if you're kind of there too, and this parable just seems harsh and kind of cruel, uh, follow along with me, and, and we'll see if the Lord can, can give us his perspective. And so this is on page 1253. And, uh, and so what we're going to do this morning is I'm just going to kind of walk us through this parable and try to get a sense for what's happening here. And, uh, and then we'll just talk about it. And, and kind of the driving image here is, I think this parable is talking to us about waiting. I mean, something all of us know very well. This parable is talking to us about, about what it means to wait for the Lord in hope. So let's dive in. Um, 25, verse 1, it says, At that time, this is on page 1253, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five were foolish, five were wise. The foolish brought their lamps, but no oil. The wise brought oil along with their lamps. And then this is the key, verse 5. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, 
and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. So, so what's the setting here? I mean, this is, this is a wedding, right? This is a wedding. This is a, a big celebration. And so in the, in the ancient Middle East, or even today, my friend um, got, married in, uh, got married in the Middle East recently, and, and she had a wedding very similar to this. You'd have these festivities all day long. It wasn't like this like, hour-long ceremony and then like hour-long reception and bing, bada, boom, like the couple's off to their honeymoon and, and everybody else goes home. This is like a, a day-long event. So this would have been happening all day long. The, the marriage ceremony would have already happened. Some, some festivities would have already happened. And then as evening draws near, the groom would go with his, his new parents-in-law, and he would go with his parents. And since weddings at this time, there was kind of a, a financial component to them, they'd be working out, okay, like, you know, the, the parents of the groom would say, you know, my son, look how great of a guy he is. And, and the parents of the bride would say, well, my daughter's pretty fantastic too. And they'd figure out what, what kind of money is going to exchange hands. And the groom would be part of all of that. And then they'd get ready for the banquet, the big party to cap off this whole night. And the way they'd do that is they'd have this, this, this parade, this procession. So the whole bridal party, bride and groom, and then everybody taking part, the bridesmaids, and, and where, where it says uh, virgins in here, that's what it's talking about. These are bridesmaids. These are young, unmarried women that have been given the, the honor and the privilege to serve as bridesmaids. We'll talk more about that. So all of the groomsmen and the bridesmaids and everybody in this procession would, would gather together, and it's late in the night. It's dark. You can imagine this, this dark village scene. And then this parade lit up by these torches, and that's the word lamps in here. This parade lit up by these torches, and they would walk to where the banquet's happening, but they would take the long way. So they'd, they'd like walk to one end of the village and then back to the other end because they want everybody in the village to kind of take part in this party. In this procession, you can just see this glow, like, look at this bride and look at this groom and how they've come together at last. What a festive occasion. And so for these, for these virgins, these bridesmaids, they've been given the honor and privilege of taking part in this. And that's not so different than today, right? You know, so if a couple you know, they get married, one of the first questions that's asked is, well, who's going to be your bridesmaid? Who, who are your groomsmen going to be? Who's going to stand up there with you on this day that, that you celebrate. And it's a big deal. And, the, and the, the bridesmaid, her whole job that day, I mean, I mean she gets done up in a, in a beautiful dress just like the bride does. She spends time on, on her hair and makeup and, and all of this energy goes into it. But whereas for the bride, the bride's doing that because this day is her day. It's about her coming together with the groom you know, before God and before all these other people. The bridesmaids, their beauty and all of this preparation is to say, Look at the bride. Look how beautiful she is. The, the bridesmaid's whole job on the day of the wedding is to point to the bride and groom. Look at them. Look how wonderful they are. And look how, look how beautiful and radiant the bride and groom look as, as they're surrounded by this, this crew of, of groomsmen and bridesmaids. So these bridesmaids, they have this honor and privilege to, to play this role. And then and they're, and they're supposed to bring these torches, right? Because they, they've got this integral part in this parade. Because without the torches, you have this whole bridal procession that's walking in the dark, which is not very exciting or festive. So their whole job is to provide the light for this thing. And so they would have had these, these torches, maybe like a long stick with like a rag wrapped around one end, and you dip it in oil, 
and then the oil burns and the rag doesn't. It's this nice flame for 15 minutes or so, and then you've got to dip the rag in more oil and, and get it burning again, or else, else the rag will burn out and it's, it's dark. So you would have had to bring extra oil for this. And then the key. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and all the girls, the bridesmaids, fall asleep. That's the setup. Okay, so we pick up in verse 6. At midnight, long after they expected, apparently, the bridegroom to come, this cry rings out. Somebody at the head of this parade, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. This is the big day. This is what the bridesmaids have been preparing for, to celebrate the bride and groom in this parade. So all the bridesmaids wake up, verse 7, they trim their lamps. And then the foolish ones have this moment of realization. They say to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. And then there's this part that we're like, kind of hurts us. because We're like, how come they're not sharing? No, the wise bridesmaids reply. There might not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Okay, so what's happening here? Bridegroom is a long time in coming. Well, this parable, this, this parable comes in the middle of, of two other parables. So the parable right before this is somewhat similar. It's about, it's about a master of a house who's going away on a business trip, and he puts his house in the care of a servant, right? And he tells the servant to take care of everything while he's gone. And then he's gone for a long time coming, similar to our parable. But then this wicked servant starts behaving badly and mistreating the other servants and throwing these raucous parties. And then what happens? The master comes back earlier than expected. And the message of that previous parable is to be ready. Because the Son of Man might come earlier than you expect. No one knows the day or the hour. This is the opposite. In this case, all of the bridesmaids are ready to rock and roll at the beginning of the night. But the bridegroom is delayed. He comes later than expected. They're having to wait. They have this, this challenge of waiting, and half of them aren't ready to wait. They're ready at the beginning. They're not ready for the long haul. They're not ready to wait. And I love this aside that in their waiting, they all become drowsy and fall asleep. And sometimes, sometimes when like that theme of sleep comes up in the Bible, it's like the bad thing, like they need to be keeping watch and not falling asleep. But in this case, I mean, there's nothing wrong with them falling asleep. That wasn't the problem. And I really like that because in the kingdom, we wait, right? We're doing a lot of waiting. We're waiting for the second coming. We're waiting for Jesus to come and put this earth to rights. But that doesn't mean that, like, we stop doing normal things like eating and, and sleeping and washing the dishes and, and cleaning up our house and visiting grandma and grandpa for Thanksgiving and disciplining our kids and, and all of these other like normal things that, that sometimes seem to get in the way of what we really want to be doing. No, really, that's just, that's just part of life in the kingdom. As we wait, life goes on and we're still human and we do these things. Okay, so half of these bridesmaids aren't ready. And when this cry comes out, it hits them. They've had all night to go buy extra oil. The Middle East 7-Eleven has been open all night for them, but they've not even thought of it. They're not ready. And when the moment comes and they realize that they're scrambling and they, and they say to their friends, give us some of what you have. And here's why the friends don't share. And we think like, that's not very nice. If you have something, you should share it with everybody. If you give your kids, one kid, a big bag of M&Ms, your son ought to, ought to share it with all of his siblings, right? 
But in this case, he doesn't share. Why? Because it's not about the bridesmaids. It's not about all of them getting to participate. They've already been invited to participate. This parade is about the bride and the groom. So if they share their oil, it's fine and good. All 10 get to carry their torches for a while. But then in the middle of the parade, the light goes out. The bride and the groom, their celebration becomes dark. So it's a big deal for them to forget. In fact, the fact that they've forgotten to bring oil or haven't brought oil or whatever it is, it shows that their hearts weren't with the bride and the groom. Because when you're a bride and groom, remember your whole job is to say, it's about them. It's about them. Look how wonderful they are on this big, big day. The fact that they haven't brought oil means that their hearts aren't with the bride and groom. And so the wise, the wise bridesmaids, why they, do, why they don't share, it's because their hearts are with the bride and groom. They're like, this parade still has to happen. And if you guys don't have oil, it's only gonna be half as bright as it ought to be, but we're gonna make sure that at least it's lit. We're gonna do our job. This is what we're here for. So then we come to the, to the end, and this is the other challenge in this parable. So while they're on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrives, and the bridesmaids who are ready go with him on this parade to the wedding banquet, and the door is shut. And later, the others come apologizing profusely because they missed out on this big day. They blew it. The parade was only half as bright as it should have been, and Lord, Lord, we're so sorry. No, that's not what it says, right? That's not how they, they enter. No, what do they do? They say, Lord, Lord, open the door for us, as if they didn't just blow it, as if, as if on this huge day, they didn't just totally botch it. So the scandal isn't that they're, they're not let in and, oh, this bridegroom is so mean. The scandal is that these foolish bridesmaids expect to be, to be let in. Why do they expect to be let in? They blew it. And blowing it says something about, about where their hearts were at. Their hearts weren't with the bride and the groom. They were somewhere else. And so when the, when the bridegroom says, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. I mean, that's, that's harsh, but that's a reflection of where their hearts were already at, where the, the hearts of the foolish bridesmaids were at. When this wedding parade was happening, they were nowhere to be seen as if they didn't even know the bride and the groom. They weren't ready, and the waiting exposed that. The waiting revealed that their hearts weren't really with the bride and the groom. And so the message of the parable, the message of the parable that you see in verse 13, therefore keep watch, is to be ready. Be ready for the bride and groom. And readiness in this case doesn't mean that, that you have your life perfectly in order. Readiness means that your heart is with the coming bridegroom. That's what it means to be ready. And in fact, if you're well aware that you don't have your life in order, you're gonna be even more ready for him to come, right? So it's not about having everything in your life in order. It means being ready and excited for him to come. It means waiting in hope for the coming of the bridegroom. So let's talk for a minute about waiting. Because this... This is, our, this is our lives, right? The kingdom of God is full of waiting. The kingdom of God is full of waiting. In fact, this whole section in Matthew 24 and 25, it's all about the end. It's all about what we're looking forward to when Jesus comes back again. And it starts with the disciples asking, Lord, 
when? When is it going to happen? When are all these things going to take place? When is your kingdom going to come in its fullness if we only see part of it now? And Jesus says, okay, well, you're going to see a lot of things happen in this generation, but even then it's going to require waiting. There's going to be a long time, so be ready. And this parable is saying, be ready for the long wait. In our liturgy that we say every week, week in and week out, I mean, we rehearse this, this waiting. We say, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. In our liturgy, we're we're reminding ourselves and one another, encouraging one another. As our reading said this morning in 1 Thessalonians, verse 18, it said, encourage one another about this hope that we're looking forward to. We're reminding each other that there's a point, we're headed in a certain direction. There's an end point coming. Don't lose heart. And we say this in the creed. We say, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. As Christians in our lives in the kingdom, it is full of waiting. And waiting can be, uh, waiting can be a form of suffering, right? I mean, there's all sorts of other things short of this that we're waiting for. And so waiting it could be like, the, the small suffering of like waiting for Thanksgiving dinner and feeling the hunger pains and being excited for, you know, 3 p.m. or whatever to come around when the turkey gets pulled out of the oven. It can be something small like that. Or it can be these major things, like waiting, waiting, waiting for a, for a son or a daughter to return to the Lord. Long, long nights of waiting. Waiting can be waiting for a new job or, or a job. Waiting for a life transition, feeling like you're just in a rut and you just need this breakthrough to be, to be living the way you, in the fullness of the way you want to be living. It can be, it can be waiting for, for your husband or your wife to change in some kind of way, for their heart to change or for their behavior to change so that your marriage can be what you long for it to be. It can be, it can be waiting for a diagnosis to come back, like getting that call from the doctor where they tell you like half as much information as you wanna hear. We found something but we need to do more tests. We're faced with waiting over and over in our lives. Maybe you're waiting for, for close friendships. Maybe you had close friendships at one time. You can remember having a certain kind of friendship when you're in high school or in college, but now, now you don't have that. Life transitions have happened and you're just waiting, waiting for community to come around you again like, you, like it used to be. And the Psalms are full of waiting. Be strong. Let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Or in those dark nights, Psalm 69, I'm weary with my crying out. My throat is dry. My eyelids grow dim with waiting for my God. This parable is about waiting. It's about waiting and hope for the Lord. And so the, the application that I want to offer you guys this morning is, is this question. Is what is your heart's response to waiting? And as, as I kind of rehearse these different examples, I mean, what are, what are you waiting for in your life? And so maybe it's, um, you know, maybe it's, it's really good that we're asking this question because next week is the beginning of Advent. And the, and the word Advent means coming. It's where we remember the first coming of Jesus to this world. And we rehearse the words of of the prophets like Isaiah who are waiting, longing for the Lord to come and redeem their nation. 
And so we go through this month of Advent and we remember too that we are waiting for Jesus' second coming, for the final end of the story, where his kingdom comes in its fullness to make this world what it ought to be. What is your heart's response to waiting? Has your hope increased? Your longing and expectancy for the Lord? Or has your heart become maybe calloused? Maybe scar tissue has formed in the waiting. And there are certain prayers that you're just, you've stopped praying, stopped even talking to people about. Because the waiting, the waiting has become too much. And like the, like the foolish bridesmaids in our story, you, you've kind of lost that readiness. You're still going through the motions, but you've lost that sense of expectancy, of longing for the king, the bridegroom to come. So let me, let me just give you kind of like three, three responses that, that you might have to waiting I mean, I mean, and what to do with those. I mean, the first might be hope. The first might be that when you read the news and, and you see that there's this awful, awful terrorist attack in Egypt, your heart just bursts with hope and longing for the king to come and make this right. And if that's where your heart is at as you read the news or as you think about challenging situations in your life, I'd say feed that hope. Hope is a precious gift. It's a precious gift that you have to offer this world. Our world needs hope. It needs people whose hearts are filled with hope. And feed that hope. And and don't neglect even the power of a a five-minute time of prayer in the morning as as you're waiting to get out of your car and go into work or as, as you're up far earlier than you want to be holding your baby and, and praying desperately that he'll go back to sleep and that Jesus will come and then you'll have to, he'll hold the baby for you. And, um, but don't underestimate the value of those, even a five minute time of prayer in the morning to kindle your hope and give you energy for the work that you have to do in your day. I mean, somebody asked Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa, you have so much on your plate. You carry so many burdens. How do you do this? And she said, it's the hours that I spend adoring Jesus. It's the hours that I spend in front of the altar thinking about Jesus that gives me hope to do the work that I have to do. So if, you're, if your response to waiting is hope, then, then treat that as a precious gift and continue to feed it. Because our world needs hope. Or maybe your response to waiting is despair. And, you, and you're like that psalmist who says, my, my heart has grown weary waiting. I am in despair. I don't think that this situation really can be fixed. I'm not sure how even God himself would fix this situation. And if you find yourself in despair, you might be feeling like, well, this, this doesn't feel like the kind of thing I ought to bring up in my small group Bible study, right? It's not very spiritual to say, I'm not sure the king himself could even fix this. But understand, I mean, you guys went through a series on the Psalms. You know that despair Despair is a legitimate prayer in Scripture. It is perfectly legitimate to say, God, I am totally in despair. Here's this situation, this family situation, that I see no way out of. And I give it to you, not even knowing if if even you could do something with this. Despair is a biblical response. We can't stay in despair. Despair doesn't get the final word. The king really is coming to put this world to rights. 
We can't stay in despair. But if despair is where we're at, then give it to the Lord and, and find that prayer echoed throughout Scripture and the prophets and especially the Psalms. And, and for you who are, who are in despair, I'd say share that with others. Share that despair with others so they can carry this burden with you. And so maybe this morning you just need to write down the name of somebody that you need to have a conversation with and just, just let them into this area of your life that you don't think about or talk about very much, but it's there. And it comes up in your mind. I think both of those would be a good, good response to waiting. The third response to waiting is deadly, and this is the response of these foolish bridesmaids whose hearts are callous, their hearts are not with the bridegroom, and, and you could kind of describe them as just, I don't care. There are these places in my prayer life that I just don't go anymore. God and I don't talk about this. And, and for you, I'd just say, just name those things. What are those relationships? What are those situations that kind of bring that up, that, that callous, like, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to be fixed. Start by naming them. And if you know well, if you're like chuckling to yourself right now because you know well the list of things that those are, then think about the person, the person for you to share those things with. And the point isn't so that you can just stir up hope and automatically you know, be hopeful and, and great, you know, put a bow on it, and now I'm ready for the Lord. No, the, the point is, I mean, if, if you're in a spot of callous, I don't care, you probably can't move yourself out of that spot. You need the grace of Jesus to move you out of there. And so the place to start would simply be just to identify it and, and share that with somebody that you trust. And here's why. Here's why it's important just to, to do like this mental check about where am I at hope or despair, I don't care. Because this is what Jesus is saying in this parable. He's saying, be ready. Have your heart fixed on the bridegroom. Have a hopeful heart for his return. That's what readiness means. And hope matters, not just for our own like psychological well-being as, we, as the news gets worse and worse every day, but, but hope matters for, for two reasons. One, it puts all of life in perspective. Hope matters because it puts all of life in perspective. It says that any sacrifice that you make for the kingdom of God is worth it and will pay off because the, G, because the king, Jesus, is bringing his kingdom into this world and that work will be finished. You know, I think about like these, these huge, um, like European cathedrals, right? I mean, these huge, beautiful structures that took hundreds of years to be built. And if you're a stonemason working in the, the beginning or the middle of that project, I mean, it's gonna be your kids, 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 kids who actually finish the job. And if you're not convinced that the, the money is gonna keep coming in to finish this, then you're not gonna be working with much hope you're gonna be wondering if, if what you're doing is even worth it. But if you're assured, if you're assured that this, king, that this cathedral is going to be built, then that's gonna energize your work. And even though you might not live to see the cathedral built, you're gonna give it all of your energy because you know that your labors aren't in vain. So it matters to think about Christ coming again. It matters to have hope because it means that all of our sacrifices are worth it in this life. And here's the second reason, because hope has this boomerang effect. We don't just like hope for something way off in the distance and then just sit and wait for it. But our hope for Jesus coming then affects our lives here and now. And you see this 
just after our parable, a little, a little ways later, at the end of Matthew, verse 34, Jesus talks about his coming again. He talks about what's going to happen. And he says, he's going to come up to his followers, the righteous, and he's going to say, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Step into the kingdom that you've been waiting for. And he says this, for I was hungry and you gave me food and I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me and naked and you clothed me and sick and you visited me in prison and you came to me. And how do they respond? How will we respond to Jesus saying that to us? We'll say, Lord, when? When did we do those things? See, living, living in hope with your eyes fixed on Jesus' return means that in this life, you will welcome him without even realizing it. Hope impacts our lives today. You will find that you have been welcoming the bridegroom all along without even realizing it. And I thought about this at, at Thanksgiving. I was talking to a, a former like, youth leader of mine who is a public school teacher, middle school teacher for years and years, and, uh, and now is doing something different. And he said, he said he gets calls from his former middle school students who are now in their 40s. And they say, hey, Mr. Jennings, do you, remember, do you remember I was having this hard day and you said this to me? Do, do you remember that, that you noticed that I was, I was upset and, and you came to me? Do you remember that you told me that you thought I was good at this? And my friend Paul says, Will, I have no memory of doing any of those things. It wasn't like some program that he was waking up and saying, I'm going to say five nice things to my students today. No, he was just... He was living in hope, living in hope on behalf of his students that the king is coming to put their lives to rights once and for all. And that hope had this boomerang effect where it came out into his life. So here we'll close. The good news of this parable is that you have been invited to welcome the bridegroom to the earth that belongs to him in body. He's with us in spirit. He will return again in body. And you and I have the privilege of welcoming him as bridesmaids, as groomsmen. And the Lord calls us today, be ready. Wait with hopeful hearts. Wait with your eyes fixed on the wedding feast to come. And you will find that you, at the end of your life, you have been welcoming the bridegroom all along. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.